but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. That text actually is telling about Jesus and, and his attitude and disposition toward his Father. And he's saying that he, he loves his Father. That's, that's what he's, what he's, the statement he's making. And he's saying, because I love my Father, I do what he wants me to do. Now, last week, if you were here, you heard me talk about the fact that God loves you. And there were, I just gave two reasons. These are very powerful reasons. One is because He made you. He created you. You are the apex of His creation. You are the most wonderful, most amazing creation in all of God's realm. You are. You, you surpass everything. In, if you read the Bible, and you do, you'll find that God does not say in any text, I love elephants. He doesn't say, I love giraffes. He doesn't say, I love puppies. I love kittens. I love dogs. You do. He gave them to you so you can love them. But the text says He loves you. He loves human beings. He loves His greatest, grandest creation. So we're looking at why God loves you. You are His creation. You are, you are something that, that is most amazing in heaven and earth, everything. You are His creation. And the second reason is because you are His child. You're His, you're His children. Those are the two reasons. Now, what we want to examine today is, why do you love Him? If you do. Now, the, my text has to do with Jesus saying, I love my Father. What I want to look at is why I, I should love Him. And do I love Him? Now we know in their text, and as a matter of fact, if you really want to look at the concept of how you love God, you can read the book of 1 John. It is just full of the fact that if you love God, you will keep His commandments. He that says, I know Him and keeps not His commandments, is a liar. So the the 1 John the whole book tells you that you keep the commandments because you love God. And you have to, if you don't love God, you don't keep, keep the commandments. That's not what we're going to be focusing on this morning. What we want to focus on is why I should love God. And why do I love God? There are two facets in this concept that make up the concept of our relationship to God. The first concept is that of truth. We need to know God. We need to know who He is. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, He said, he said I am truth. And the other texts talk about Jesus being the truth and the life. So Jesus is the truth, and the Word of God is truth. It's truth and cannot be a lie. And God is true. He cannot lie. So when, when we're talking about truth, we're talking about information that you can assimilate and you can make judgments upon. So as you read the Bible, you're going to come to a conclusion of whether or not you believe it's true. And you're going to get the information. But the next thing that's going to happen is that you decide whether or not you're going to have an affection for God. Whether or not you're going to feel anything for Him. 
Now that's what we call love. I love my God. Not because I know about Him. That's not the reason. Of course, the Bible tells us that we need to understand the things of God. That we need to read the book and we need to get the information. Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth is what Jesus said. We need the truth. But after we get the truth, are we going to assimilate it and say, okay, I'm going to make a decision. Either I care something for God or I don't. And when I reach the conclusion that I don't care for God, I'm not going to do what He says. But if I reach the conclusion that I have an affection for God, that I, I feel something for Him, then I will do His commandments. That's the difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament law. Simply because you know what God wants you to do does not mean that you're going to do it. When you know what God wants you to do and you feel something for God, then you will in turn do it. And that's where love comes in. The, uh, the Greeks, and of course the New Testament was written in Greek, the Greeks had five words that, that they used to define love. These are the five words. And the, they'll be just, basically, there are only two words that are used predominantly in the New Testament that are translated love in your English version. And that's the word agape, that's the first one, and the second one. The other words sometimes appear and sometimes don't. But they're not significant in, in the relationship of God relating to us what He wants us to feel. The word agape in the Greek had reference to a divine affection. Again, love is an affection. It's how you feel. Now, a lot of people will tell you that well, love is just something that's in your head. But I think most of us know, know better. It's not just in your head. It's in your heart. It's your emotions. And your emotions can either be right or wrong and can be trained right or wrong by what you know. However, your emotions have to be involved in the relationship to God. Now, the word agape is the word that is usually translated, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called charity. And it's defined there for us. Then, the, then there's the word philia or filio, which is platonic love, love between friends. Good friends. Love between uh, between individuals that are related or unrelated. Uh, the word Philadelphia, for instance, is the word brotherly love, the city of brotherly love. So when we read Philia in some way, we'll read something about a platonic relationship. And then there's the word storge, and this is the love that's shared among family members. And this is, this is in the, generally, the Greek references. However, when we get into the New Testament, as I said before, the word philia is the word that's, that's usually defined as family relationships too. But the word storge is the love shared among family members, parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, cousins, so forth. That's the word storge. That's the way the Greeks use it. And then the word Eros, which is romantic love. And it, uh, it had, had reference to sexual and intimate love sometimes. 
And it can occur in a legitimate form, such as marriage, or in an illegitimate form, uh, such as fornication or, or concupiscence. And then there's the word xenia, which is mainly a charitable sort of a love, and it has to do with strangers. Your feeling toward a stranger. Now, though all those words don't appear in the New Testament in a way that will help you understand what we're going to talk about, the first two do. The word agape and the word philia. Now, the main thing we that I want to impress you with is, or that I want to bring out in this lesson is that we know that love is the motivating factor in our relationship to God. That I want to get that right down on baseline. Whether it's agape or philia, it is the motivation of what we do in our relationship to God. And as a matter of fact, it's what we do in our relationship to anyone. It's the motive. We know and should be keenly aware that love in any of these two forms is the most powerful moving force in human society. It's the most powerful force. How you feel about someone, specifically love, is the most powerful force you will ever experience. And it will either move you to do what's right or do what's wrong. It's not what you think, and it's not what you can intellectualize. It's what you feel. Poets eulogize love in an almost limitless way. When you start reading poetry, the poems about love are most certainly the most popular and the most prolific than any other single topic. Philosophers talk endlessly about the power of love, and they extol its virtues and beauty. And then, of course, songwriters have always talked about love. Love songs, songs always have something to do about love. And emotion, as an emotion, love does things to the human heart that no other emotion can do. And even when the cold reason warns against it, love can motivate it. Love makes the coldest and the hardest heart rejoice. Even the most cynical heart that says marriage is nothing. But love will make the most cynical heart rejoice at the announcement of people who are going to get married. Or engaged. Or at a birth of a child. And it can cause weeping at funerals and at memorials for for lost ones. Love cracks the toughest shell. Now, everybody knows that this is right, what I'm, what I'm saying. You know, if you've experienced love, and you have, you know that love can do things to you that nothing else can do. Love can wring a tear out of the eye of a crusty cynic that has lost hope in the world, but it can still get a tear. Love can pull a coin out of the purse of a miser and put it in the collection plate. Love can stay the hand that raises itself in violence against the oppressed. Love can melt the iron stature of the oppressor. Love can and has changed the entire course of history. Most importantly, love motivates our hearts to move us to do good, never to do evil. Love always motivates you to do good. 
to improve on human history. That's what love can do. In Romans chapter 5, verse 7 says, Yet for a good man, some would even dare to die. So love will motivate people to die. You've heard the story about buddies in war, that the man will die for his friends and sacrifice his life, throw himself upon a live grenade or whatever to help his friends. That's what love does. That's the most... Reasonably, you'd say, no, I'm not going to jump on that grenade. But love, because the individual loves his buddies, will jump on the grenade. Sure. Among the strongest reasons for loving God is the fact that He is good. God is good. Now think about this a minute. If God were an evil being, He wouldn't even be adorable. You wouldn't think about wanting to love Him. But because He is good, He is worthy of being loved. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 and 17, the young ruler was asking Jesus what, good, what commandment he had to obey, what was, the, what was the thing he had to do to have eternal life. And he, he called Jesus and said, Good Master, what must I do? And you know what Jesus' response was? He said, Why do you call me good? There's only one good... And that is God. So, love tells me, my affection tells me, that I want to do good. Love will make me want to do good. Hate won't let me do good. But love will make me want to do good and will make me want to love that which is good. And as I said before, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a, a definition of how we feel when we're feeling love. Now, there's a situation in John chapter 21, verse 15 through 17, that kind of gives us a, an idea of the difference between these two words that we're using. The first word was the word agape, and the second word was the word filio or philia. And one means sort of a divine love, a, a love that is pure, that uh, doesn't have any selfish motivation to it. And the other is a love of friendship. Now Jesus had been had resurrected from the dead, and he was together. He was had gathered together with his disciples, and at verse fifteen of John twenty one it says, "When they had died, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonah, love me more than these." He said unto him, "Yea, Lord, you know that I love you." He said unto him, "Feed my lambs." He said to him again the second time, Simon son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He said unto him, Yea, Lord, you know that I love you. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He said unto him the third time, Son of Jonah, lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. What you don't get is there are two words being used here. Jesus is saying, first of all, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me purely? And Peter says, Lord, you know we're best buddies. He said, you know I'm your friend. That He used the word philia. Jesus asked him again, do you love me? Do you have that pure feeling for me? And Peter says again, Lord, you know I'm your friend. Wow. The last time, you know what Jesus said? He says, Peter, am I your friend? 
Now, I don't know why it had to come down to that. I, did Jesus just give up on him and say, okay, you can just be my friend? I'm, I'm not really sure. But I do know Jesus is asking Peter to do something beyond friendship. And Peter was saying, Lord, we're buddies. You know we're friends. We've been together for a while. Well, I'm your friend. And Jesus is saying, feed my sheep. Well, the question that comes before me and before you has to be, from last week we said, why does God love you? Now, the question we have today is, why do you love God? Why do you love Him? Or do you? Do you love God? There are three things that are involved in responsive love. First of all, love is sometimes commanded. Do you love because you've been told to love? Did somebody say, hey, you've got to love me. I'm, I, I demand it of you. I've commanded it of you. Now, that was in the Old Testament in, in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And at verse 4, God said, the first commandment was, thou shalt love the Lord your God. You shall love the Lord your God. Now, I'm supposed to love God, and so He's commanded me to love Him. It, does that, is that how love res- responds? Because you've been told to love? That's, you know, that's a tough one, isn't it? Same, same thing in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. If we, if we were able to fully comprehend the goodness and the mercy of God, we would have no trouble with that concept. But we're unable to do that. We're unable to just respond to a commandment. Somebody coming into your home that you don't know, and even if you did know them, if, you, if you've been given their history, but they stand in front of you and say, Love me. And you'd say, why? Why should I love you? Why should I love you? You see the problem in the commandment? Israel couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. But they thought they could do it. Hebrews chapter 8 at verse 5 says, They were an example to us. So God suffered with these people. Actually, the people thought we can do it. And so God let them try it. Let us try it to do it that way. And it didn't work. We don't love someone that commands us to love them, do we? Be honest. Be honest. If God said, Bill, love me, I'd say, why? Wouldn't you? That's the question I would ask. Why? And that's the question Israel asked, of course. Well, one reason is God is righteous. Everything about him is right. There's no unrighteousness in God. There's a lot of unrighteousness in me, but there's no unrighteousness in God. In in Psalms chapter 14, verse 1 through 3, in Romans 3, it says, There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. There's none that seek after God. Why? Because we're not righteous, but he is. And maybe there's a sense of jealousy there, I'm not, I'm not really sure what it is, but I do know this, that simply commanding me to love is not going to work. I know myself, and you know yourself. You should know that. So we're looking at that law. Does law make us love God? 
Well, how about if love is demanded? What if someone says in a position of authority, you have to love me? We live in a society, a democratic society. And in our society, we're told that we need to love our government. And you know the first question you're going to ask? Why? Sure, you're going to ask that. Why should I love my government? And you're going to ask the question, what has my government done for me? Now, that's, that's, that's a very dangerous situation to be in. When you start asking the question, why do I love someone because what have they done for me? It comes down to the business of whether or not you can be bought. That your love can be purchased. Well, I love the government because of the social programs. Wow. People don't come to this country because they love the government. They come to this country because they love the money the government has. People are trying to get into this country so they can have the benefits of this country. Not because they love the United States of America, but they do love the dollars. They do love the social care. And I don't blame them. But still, it's not a matter of love. So you're not going to purchase somebody's love. Well, I, I love this guy because he gave me some money. Because he, he continues to take care of me. Well, that doesn't work, does it? <laughs> Loving someone is not because someone gives you something. So love demanded and is, not, is not going to work if it's because it's being bought. Uh, our government may demand loyalty and may demand fealty. Uh, love of country, love of leadership, love of society, because it's demanded of us. My country, right or wrong, that's not a good precept. Often parents demand love from their children. Why? I'm your mama, I'm your daddy, you've got to love me. Now that doesn't work, does it? Doesn't work. If they don't behave themselves in such a way as to show love, then why would we love? Now there's the, there's the point. How about love expected? This comes from a contract. Love commanded, love demanded, love expected, contractual. Let's get right down to it. Husbands, love your wives. Ephesians 5.25 Okay, so the husband loves the wife. Why? Well, because I, get, I, I, I made an oath... I love my wife because I made an oath. I've got a contract. Now, you didn't fall in love with your wife because of a contract. And when you tell your wife you love her just because you're under contract of love her, how's that going to work? Then, of course, that's Ephesians 5.25 and Colossians 3.19. But then there's nothing that says to the wife, wives love your husband. Did you know that? But there is a text. Titus 2 at verse 4 says, The aged women, you older women, are to teach the young women to love their husbands. You've got to teach them how to love their husbands. Because we're not very lovable, are we? So the old women, old ladies, old sisters... Old, old females. <laughs> You're going to have to teach the young ones how to love their husbands. So you're probably going to have to teach them how to overlook the husband's faults and look beyond that 
and find something good in them. So we're, we're actually we're, we're getting we're getting down to to an area where basically, and the, the same thing applies with husbands and wives as it does with children. We, we have to behave ourselves in such a way as to be lovable. Isn't that correct? I love God because He is lovable. Now then, He deserves me to love Him. He deserves it. He is my Creator. I should love Him because He created me. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for God. So basically, He is my Creator, and therefore I should have a feeling for Him. And the only way I can have a feeling is to read the Word and find out who He is. 1 Peter 4.19 says, God is our faithful Creator. He is my Father. Ephesians chapter 4 at verse 6 says, I can call Him Abba Father. That's a, that's a very familiar term. He's my Father. He cares for me. He is my provider. Acts 17 verse 25 says, He gives to all life and breath and all things. So everything I have came from God. Unless I believe that everything I have, I made. I didn't make any of this stuff, by the way. I didn't, I didn't make the car I'm driving, and neither did the manufacturer make it. It's made out of materials that God put here for us. So God gave us everything, and I should be, except to, to some degree, I should be thankful for that. Not only thankful, but I can love God as being my provider. He's given me everything. And He is my protector. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6 says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He'll never leave us. Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man can do unto me. Okay. And he's my benefactor. He said, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to have to put on, because I'll take care of that in Matthew chapter 6. So he's my, he's my benefactor. But let's get right down to it. I heard the Bible since I was the, sitting on my grandmother's knee in church when I was no bigger than a minute. I've heard the Bible for all my life. I've heard it all my life. And you know, until I really came, became acquainted with Jesus of Nazareth, I really never did feel any love for God. Didn't feel it. I knew all about it, but I had nothing feeling in my heart about it. When I found out about Jesus, I fell in love with God. That's what happened to me. I knew all these years I've known about God and I've heard about God, but until I actually felt in my heart that I loved Him, I didn't know Him. Now then, I can say that I love Him. And... I can look at the cross and I can say, that's God's heartache for me, that He loves me. And so now I know why I love Him more than anything else. I know He's my Creator, and I have a distant love along that line. And I know He's my provider and I get things from Him, but I seem to forget where it comes from. And I know, I know all these other things about God, but until I really became acquainted with Jesus Christ, 
I didn't really fall in love with God. And and this this is this is critical for me. I'm a father. I have three kids. And I have a bunch of grandkids and some great grandkids. But mainly if someone were to ask me when my children were in my home, give me one of your kids and I'm going to punish them severely and probably kill them. Give them to me. Who would I do that as a father? Would I would I give my child? And if they said, "Look, it's either give me your child or you come," I'd say, "Okay, it's easier for me to come, and you can do with me what you want to do." Now then, what was easier for the father to do—to come himself or to send his son? die on the cross and every time I think about that and I think about the 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 uh, love it took for me to tell me that God loves me that it took the sacrifice of him giving his son to die instead of himself and then standing by while he's dying and not lifting a hand Letting everybody just beat him the way they wanted to, humiliate him the way they wanted to, put him up on the cross, punish him badly, and then revile him and mock him and say terrible things to him and just sit by and watch that and let him die. Look at the love that that took. Why did he do it? Because John 3.16, God so loved that he gave his only begotten son. That's love. And that's why I love God. Because he loves me first. Let's stand and sing the song invitation.